0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Fans Talk Pro Wrestling Podcast. As always, I am your host with the Holla French Toast, Freddie Carlson, and today we are back. It has been a very long time since we've seen y'all, and we are very happy to be back. And by we, of course, I am talking about my good friend on the other side of the microphone, the heart of the wrestling fan base himself, Angelo Belli. Say hello to the people, Angelo.
1: Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to a podcast that is just too sweet. You
0: love to see it. And today we are also very happy to be joined by some special guests. First, we got Austin Theory's number one fan, Adam. Say hello, Adam.
2: Here. What's up, everybody?
0: And we've also got the architect of their IG, Instagram wrestling club, Austin. Say hello to the people, Austin. How's everyone doing out there tonight? Yes, yes. We are back together. You guys who've been listeners uh, in the past will know Adam and Austin from previous visits to the podcast. And we might be lucky enough as we are recording just after 8 p.m. Eastern Time on on a Monday night, which means currently and concurrently, Monday Night Raw is taking place live from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. So there's a good chance that at some point during tonight's episode, we'll be joined by our good friend Rafan. Everyone remembers Rafan. He is actually live at the Barclays. So if he happens to pop in, we'll get a live in the field report from how things are going down in Brooklyn. That's the first time ever occurrence here on the pod. So we'll see how things go. But in the meantime, let's dive right into what we're talking about today. So first and foremost, we do want to pay some respects. Last week in the wrestling world, we we you know, we lost two Very uh, important individuals, Sarah Lee, a former winner of Tough Enough, as well as Antonio Inoki, one of, if not the most well-known, legendary Japanese superstars of all time, both tragically passing away last week. Uh, We want to pay our respects to them and to send our prayers and our concerns to their families. Um, We didn't want to start without recognizing them. Now, as we move forward since the last time, That we were with you here on the Fans Talk Pro Wrestling Podcast, which was many months ago. A lot has changed in the wrestling world, both for the good and for the bad. We've seen a lot of things go on in AEW, but we're not talking about them today. That's a story for another day. We've also seen a lot of things uh, transpire with leadership in WWE due to all the allegations against Vince McMahon over the summer. and We're not going to get into that part of it, but we are going to get into probably the most beneficial thing to come After all of that came out and that was the changes made and how they have positively affected or maybe even negatively affected depending on how we feel the WWE product on TV the biggest and most notable note of all of these is that over the summer back I believe it was in late July um, Triple H uh, Vince McMahon's son-in-law was officially announced as the new head of creative for WWE programming which is now just under three months ago. So in that last three months, we've had three premium live events for WWE, one of which was pretty much all of the booking that had been made previously kind of just running its course with little subtle hints of Triple H's regime taking over on that night. We also had Clash at the Castle, the first UK pay-per-view special, or sorry, premium live event special uh, in over 20 years uh, with uh, Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns in the main event. And then just this past weekend, we had Extreme Rules, which took place in Philadelphia and had one of, if not the greatest returns to the business that there has ever been. And I am not exaggerating when I say that. That will be towards the end of the episode. But now I'm going to turn it over to my three fellow guests and colleagues and friends here on the Fans Talk Pro Wrestling podcast. And I'm going to say, how have you guys felt about Triple H's regime so far? What have been your good thoughts, bad thoughts? What's been positive and negative? And do you think it's going in a direction that most fans will enjoy? And what do you want to see? So a lot of questions, a lot of thoughts, but feel free to go first. I'll turn it over first to my good buddy, Angelo, my co-host on the pod. Angelo, what are your thoughts?
1: So first and foremost, I think Triple H is doing a really extremely great job at running WWE creatively and everything. I mean, we've all seen it. We've all seen the changes being done between NXT, between certain storylines, certain characters. Hell, we've even just seen uh, Max Dupree turn on the Maximum Male Models and revert back to LA Knight. Yeah. So I I just, I think Triple H is doing a great job so far. You know, there's nothing bad that I could say, and I think it's only going to continue going up from here
0: amen to that amen to that okay early thoughts on what we what we're looking at here austin what do you got
3: so i think that there was a lot of um a lot of faith being put in triple h from the beginning
0: oh and i think we're well this is what happens when you're recording live austin we're having some trouble hearing you is it just me or can anybody else is everybody else having trouble hearing you this is live ladies and gentlemen
2: Yeah, he cut
1: out for me. Yeah, he cut out for
0: me, too. All right, Austin, well, you've cut out, so maybe we'll take some time to see if we can fix his audio. Uh, In the the meantime, this is the first time this has ever happened.
2: Uh, Adam, what do you got? Uh, Yeah, I think, personally, that um, within the first 90 days, Triple H has done a tremendous job because, well, first off, he had a lot of, like, pressure coming in, but also at the same time, there's a lot of faith. into it Because, as you remember... He was running NXT, which for the longest time was like the golden child of the wrestling industry, like prior to AEW. And so, um, and if you look at a lot of the creative decisions, such as giving Matt Riddle his name back, giving his Austin Theory his name back, the feud between Imperium and the Brauling Broods, I think all the booking is indicative of the Black and Gold era, but the but the better parts of the Black and Gold era. And so, you know, it's it's. It's it's good to see, but um, you know I'm just more more so excited to see what he's going to do in the future, especially with Mania season just around the corner.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, WrestleMania season is going to be more fun than ever this year. Austin, I I don't know if we fixed your audio. Can you hear us? I, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Now we can hear you. All right, welcome yeah. back. All right, Austin, go so ahead. Much, Sorry so
3: about much, that. How much for the external microphone? Um, so yeah, let me give my thoughts on it. So I want to say that um. There's, I have, let me recheck. Um, Coming off of however many years of Vince McMahon doing things his way or the highway, I mean, you know, he's been doing this for as long as any of us can remember. And so I think that Triple H being in charge and, you know, taking the reins is really the breath of fresh air that everyone needed to just come out of what has really been just a slump in the professional wrestling scene. Um, Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, it hasn't been filled with dull and dreary moments we've been going through what has already been one of the greatest reigns of professional wrestling under roman reigns but um everything that vince has built i think triple h can only improve upon it and i think that everything that he adds with his own flavor is going to take world wrestling entertainment and bring it back to being the top company for wrestling in the entire world
0: yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, so now I'll give some of my thoughts. Uh, I, I I think similar to what everybody has said so far, it's been um, it's almost fully in the positive direction. I think I think the negatives are more nitpicking things, little little hiccups here and there. I'm not trying to say it's been perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it's been as close to it as you probably can get. I mean, like like Austin was saying, what we had been getting for the majority of the last close to well, I mean at least the last decade and probably even stretching out for bits and pieces beyond that has just been so monotonous, so mundane. So, you know, okay, it's Monday. Let's just run the same formula each and every week for 52 weeks a year for years on end, because it's, it's what works. They played it safe. You know, even when AEW came and as much as they are trying to say, it's not a war, it's not a war. I mean, let's be honest here for a long time. And even to this day, it probably still is even in the smallest ways possible. And, um, I think that they just kind of got comfortable, they got lazy, they got complacent. They didn't have to have that same mindset that they had in their days of trying to succeed. I mean, think about it. You go back to the 80s, Vince was trying to make an unproven concept succeed at a level that had never succeeded before on a global scale, and he did. And he had to be perfect because of it. And just when things started to lull in the mid-90s, The attitude ever came along having to have this war with WCW in the ratings and try to beat them each and every week and they did and that was probably the biggest boom period for wrestling fans were always watching millions and millions of people every single week the ratings they were getting then will never be seen again It doesn't matter what company you work for what show you're, what channel you're on and what time slot you have what day of the week it does not matter it's not happening. And then even in the Ruthless Aggression era, for a good portion of it, there was so much great natural wrestling and talent and genuinely good stories to invest in for the most part during that time. And it was never perfect, but it was great. And I hate to be the guy who says, oh, the PG era ruined things, but the PG era was kind of the turn of the tide when things kind of got complacent. There wasn't a need to compete anymore. There was no competition. There was nobody trying to make WWE better themselves. And even with AEW now, I don't think that that's Triple H's mindset. I think he's just trying to give the fans the most entertaining product, the most fresh, unique stories and and elements to everything. I mean, we've seen such little nuance changes to every story, every championship, meaning so much more, and getting TV time and meaningful TV time for guys who hadn't been used meaningfully for weeks, months, years on end, if ever. So I already think we're seeing the positives come from it. And I think that there's a lot of good that can still come and i want to touch on one of the one of the shining lights on all of what you're what we've been saying and adam you referenced this before the feud between imperium and the brawling brutes and i want to get into this a little bit because i feel like that is a very key aspect of what's been going on under triple h's reign let's look at it this way triple h has in less than 3 months Turned a meddling mid-card, boring, do nothing tag team filled with two heels who I really wasn't invested in, and Pete Dunn with a crappy name change, and turned them into the most over-exciting and fun-to-watch group in literally the course of three months, a couple of matches on paper on premium lab events, and a story that genuinely interests me as a fan and I'm sure so many others. And you can see that based on the reaction that the brawling brutes got both on their entrance Saturday night at extreme rules and on their, the reaction to their victory over Imperium at extreme rules. So I want to ask you guys, what has that feud meant to this, the, the changes in the booking that we're looking for, but also what has it meant to the overall aspect of the business and the company trending in the right direction?
2: Um, that is um, and actually a really good example. Um, I think that feud per- perfectly encapsulates what's going on because, for instance, look at the match at Class of the Castle with, between Gunther and Jameis, right? That wasn't your run-of-the-mill Vince McMahon intercontinental title match. That was just a Walter match, okay? Like, that was just a match where two guys go in and just tear the house down. And you look at it. Like, furthermore, like, bringing in Fabian Eichner or Giovanni Vinci, I'm sorry, um, it's, it's more so Triple H letting the guys do what they do best and prove why they're on the highest of stages and held to the highest of standards. Um, because for all intents and purposes, Gunter is top five in the world. Sheamus... For, for all of the, for all the criticism he's got throughout the years, remains one of, if not the toughest superstar in WWE, if not the entire industry. So to let these guys have these creative brains and to let these guys just do what they do best is just proving what we've known all along. Like, if you don't micromanage... It's a hell of a lot better. That's the and the product one. is only improved because of it.
0: Absolutely, couldn't agree more. That micromanaging comment is exactly what was in my mind as I, as you were talking about all that. Anybody else got some thoughts on yeah. on the on this story?
3: Totally. So I think um, all of you will probably remember back when Triple H first took over, maybe in his first couple weeks with like SummerSlam just being over or something like that. I made a really specific comment that I want to point back to for everyone listening is that I worried about some of the people under the Triple H era actually falling off the card because Triple H was going to play with his favorites more often. And one of them that I pointed out was Sheamus because I thought that, you know, Triple H has got his shiny toys and Finn Balor, Kevin Owens. Like, Sheamus is going to be an afterthought. But that wasn't the case at all. In fact, Sheamus got not only, like, a spotlight, but a really big spotlight. And having the attention on him has really allowed people to realize, like, oh, my gosh, this guy is... Not only has he been with the company for, like, 15 years now, but he's really, like, a master of his craft, you know? And Triple H, he allowed both Imperium and the Brawling Brutes to, like, thrive under these new conditions. And both, just like both of you have said, like, both of these factions were, dare I say, just, like, not living up to their full potential before Triple H took over. Um, Imperium was just the two-man... Group, which was fine but it wasn't doing anything you know spectacular and the brawling brutes were so boring that i didn't i didn't think they deserved a spot on wrestlemania this past year Agreed. and so triple H to come in and just shake things up with this feud and with so many others i think it's a true testament to just how anyone can succeed if you know they play their cards right and they triple h just lets them do what they do best
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was one of the most critical people, I would say, of of the Brawling Brutes being on WrestleMania and, and their match with the New Day. And on all honesty, I, th- I thought the only reason that they were on WrestleMania was because of the New Day, not because of their own merit. The New Day being such big stars for the WWE for the past decade or so, you know, that's pretty much the only reason they got them on the card. And it was they carried them even after the Big E injury. Um, and realistically speaking, if this this change doesn't happen, I don't see either of these groups succeeding. I mean, we heard rumors, and obviously to take them with a grain of salt, that Vince was souring on Gunther and wanting to take the title off him and just make, you know, basically bury Imperium. And that would have been such a horrible thing to do because you can see the natural star power that he contains. And to the lesser extent, but still a, a very good extent, is. Vinci and, and, and Kaiser both being so talented as a team. I think the WWE tag team division has the most potential it has had in a very long time. Because yeah, totally. if, And I feel like that is probably still the one, one aspect that Triple H hasn't fully improved upon yet, but the subtle touches that you can see are already getting there. The brawling brutes, being it, Holland and Butch, should never have gotten a tag team title match against the Usos under the Vince McMahon regime, but since Triple H has taken over and the work he has done to improve their status, their 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 um, view in the eyes of the crowd, it would it has propelled them to the point where I actually find them to be believable challengers and to be believable baby faces to challenge for those titles and any hot tag or even if they say you know dare I say put the titles on them, which I doubt would happen off the Usos at the very least would be received extremely warmly by the fans. So I think that that's something that goes a long way to say how much has improved on all three of them, and to the same extent in Imperium, since Triple H has taken over. Angelo, I skipped over you. Did you have any thoughts on this feud?
1: So so far, I think this feud is great. And, I mean, honestly, I believe that it's not over. You know, it's... Saturday was not the end for Sheamus versus Gunther. There's there's absolutely no way in hell that it's over no. because the way that I look at it is they're tied one and one right now. You know, mm-hmm. Gunther won in the UK. So then Sheamus and the Rolling Roots won this past Saturday. So now it's do we run back Sheamus and Gunther for the IC title one more time? And this is where I firmly believe if they run it back just one more time— they could give the title to Sheamus, give him his glory moment, and no matter what happens, Gunther will not be buried mm-hmm. because we've seen it time and time again with him. The man just puts on banger matches after banger matches, and we've seen the same thing with the Brawling Brutes, and to me there's no more like perfect way to do it than between these two teams. The chemistry that they have built in such a short time for a feud – is something that honestly I don't think we have seen in a while in years. So it's something that's great to see. And I feel like there's only one way to go from here and that's only going up, breaking whatever ceilings there are. And honestly too like since Gunther was in NXT, he ruled NXT UK for how many how many years was it? It was over 2 years, right? Uh, as yes, champion?
0: Almost 800 days as the champion.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. So you know, you have someone like that as the face of of the NXT brand, but branched out into the UK. Now, Triple H is thinking on going global with NXT. You know, there's so many people out there that, you know, are like Gunther, are like Sheamus, that we just don't get to see because they're not in a top promotion. So I feel like Triple H expanding NXT and getting eyes on that product that's just going to make the that's just going to make the wwe brand so much better
0: absolutely agreed yeah and i think that um i think that with what we are getting with this feud it's allowing a lot of you know positives for uh for the worldwide audience as well as the worldwide superstars who will benefit from nxt coming to those places as well um but focusing in on something from your earlier on in your point about um this feud not being over. I, I think we could all agree that it's not. Um, yeah, Seamus, uh, sorry, Gunther won at Clash of the Castle. Sheamus and the Brutes won in the six man at in the Donnybrook, which I think m- that, that stipulation has quickly become my favorite stipulation in the business. A good old fashioned Donnybrook match. Both of them have been absolute bangers, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, with Sheamus being in both of them. And I think it goes to show that this is definitely his match. Um, and I think, uh, side note, I think when you get a match in WWE that essentially gets associated with you, that is the sign that you are a literal acting legend. And I, I think Sheamus yeah. does not get the credit yep. that he deserves because he yeah. is a legend, a hundred
2: and ten percent. What's What's funny is that Sheamus, like, and if you if you listen to like the um, the individual accolades, he is tied with Edge in terms of, of how much stuff he's done. You know, yeah. like. And also, just to just to just back, piggyback just a little bit off Angelo, um, there's also the second match off the season premiere of SmackDown um, the, with Gunter and Sheamus, which and which I find interesting is that Gunter, for all intents and purposes, had to cheat to win, and and I think that's just a testament to like the, the I guess long term booking if you want to call it that, where if you if Gunter has to cheat to beat somebody, I feel like that's you know. A sigil of respect of sorts. Like with an inevitable third match, I feel like Sheamus would have to win that because that's just the natural progression from being beaten clean to being beaten with interference to finally getting that victory over which you have been chasing after.
0: Oh, yeah. I agree as well. I mean especially when you look at it, Sheamus – if Gunther doesn't do that, Sheamus is probably winning that match. And it was the trend of that was going that way. So it goes to show that Gunther, who is as dominant as anyone we have seen on the main roster in, in, in forever, and was the most dominant superstar probably in the history of NXT, and I'm talking both the American branch and the UK branch, which in its existence, being champion and as dominant of a champion as he was, beating everybody and having banger after banger, again, no pun intended on the bang, on the oh. Brute's new catchphrase, um, with everybody. And so, yeah, I, I think that they are going to run this match back in Saudi at no at No mercy. Sorry, that's not the show's name. Crown Jewel um, in November, November the 5th. And I, I, I do think that Sheamus is going to win. And like you said, Angelo, it's not going to be a burial of Gunther. It's going to be, hey, they have built Sheamus back up from being a meddling veteran mid-carder Carter is never going to go anywhere near the, a title picture again to he's not just a believable challenger to Gunther and another person for Gunther to put down in this lengthy reign that they may be giving him, but he's the guy who can and probably should beat him for it. And it won't hurt Gunther anyway because there's a difference between losing a match, losing a title, and being buried, and losing it and still being over, and that is something that I think a lot of fans don't get. Just because you lose the match doesn't mean you're being buried and it doesn't mean you're not still over. Gunther is probably in the top three most over guys on the SmackDown roster. Yeah, Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre, and and Gunther. I think it's those three, and then there's a big gap between just about everybody else. Maybe Sami Zayn because his, his 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 character has been building in its own right with the Roman Reigns storyline.
2: Carrying Cross, bill okay?
0: Uh, well, I, you know my opinions on carrying Cross, not the <laughs> biggest, not the biggest Cross guy myself.
2: But hey man, you beat McIntyre for brother. Come on. I
0: I see your point. I see your point, and that's fair. Um, but even before still, we on, before we move on from Gunther, I just want to put
3: one more point out into the world, yeah. and then we've got so much more to talk about. But I just want to say that to your point about. Losing the match is not losing the war. Right now, if Gunther drops the title to Sheamus, not only does it put Sheamus over, like you said, but it puts Gunther over into that next level where he really needs to be as a top contender to Roman Reigns. Amen. You know, Gunther is, like we've all said, one of the best athletes to do this right now. He's, he's killing the game. And they're telling a story with Gunther and Sheamus that is, oh, another really strong guy like Gunther is in the form of Sheamus and is going to take the title from him. They're not going to redo the underdog story of some short guy who's got a bunch of heart is going to beat Gunther. No, we've seen that, and we'll probably see it again in the future, but they're not doing that here, which I think is just a testament to how Triple H is keeping things fresh and keeping things moving forwards, not moving things backwards.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right, and there's nothing wrong with redoing something at at different points in the future because you're bound to at some point, but doing the same formula over and over for years on end without making any variation or very little variation is just going to make everybody lose their mind. Big guy is champion, smaller guy challenges, big guy crushes lots of smaller guys until one smaller guy rises above the rest. How many times have we seen that with Brock Lesnar? How many times have we seen that? Maybe not with Roman Reigns, but he's crushed how many "quote unquote" smaller guys in this reign, and, and and Goldberg, and we can go on about how it's happened, and it's it's never ending. So I agree, and I think even in the law at a loss to Sheamus, as long as the match, which I, for all intents and purposes, believes it, believe it would be, is as good or even close to as good as their match at Clash at the Castle and the Six Man at Extreme Rules, I think that. Gunther's going to be even more over in defeat because he's going to have put over Sheamus in a five-star match. Sheamus is going to have achieved this final goal. Gunther's going to be the guy who did the honors for him in an honorable way. And Gunther can still go on the very next episode of SmackDown and step to Roman Reigns and nobody would think any less of it. Nobody would think it's, oh, this guy just lost. Why is he here? No, they're going to think, oh, finally, Gunther's moved up to that main event spot where he belongs. Not to say that that's what would happen should that come to be, but... I think that that's the, the you know the, the main point here. We can't overlook the importance of Gunther, even in defeat. To Seamus, Seamus is not someone that you should be ashamed to lose to, and that's what I was saying. The yeah. the, the legendary status that he has, he's won every accolade, as Adam said. From the Royal Rumble, Money in the Bank, King of the Ring, four-time world champion, all the tag titles with Cesaro. He was the three-time United States champion. He has beaten some of the very biggest names in this company. Randy Orton, John Cena, Daniel Bryan. I mean, he has beaten a lot of legendary names. He's been in there with everybody. So he's not a slouch. He is in no way, shape, or form a slouch. And I think that as we move on from this particular part of the conversation on to whatever might be next... ...that there's a lot to be gained from this feud. And stay tuned to watch it because it's going to be some good stuff. And I think that we might we might be in store for yet another five-star match between the two... ...when they get to potentially Saudi or wherever they decide to run it back. It would make the most sense to do it there. But we'll find out. So anyway, moving along. So that, ma- that feud has been one of the, the highlights... ...and there's been a lot of highlights of Triple H's regime with WWE... But another thing that we have seen is the importance being reestablished to certain championships. Now, we've already talked in depth about Gunther and Sheamus and their feud over the Intercontinental title. But in and of itself, that title, along with the United States Championship on Raw, have been restored to a value that they haven't really previously been at, to a value that it has been so long since either of them have felt that important. I mean, the United States title, I could think of when John Cena was doing his Open Challenges. That's when the title felt most important to me. And that Intercontinental Championship, as we all know, in the 80s and 90s, was the workhorse, workhorse title and that stepping stone to the world title before the Attitude Era quickly knocked it back down to just being a little hot potato toy between everybody else, and it never really recovered from that. But in the last few months, that title's been in, the, so, in such a great feud that, that that match could main event the show with Roman not on it. And the United States title has main evented the show, and if I'm not mistaken, they're probably going to main event Raw tonight with Lashley and Rollins over the United States title. And I do think Rollins is winning the title tonight on Raw, and to be, stay tuned for that. If you're watching Raw, you know, hopefully he does. I think that it's time for Seth to win something. No offense to Bobby Lashley, he's been a great champion, but I think it's time for Seth wins something. But yes, so we've seen titles being restored to a higher level of respect, a higher level of importance. And what do you guys think about that? And and, and with every title and maybe and I uh, to maybe to give one criticism, because we have talked very highly about things. I think that the women's titles have felt a little less important lately, um, specifically with the Raw Women's Championship, um, in my opinion. Um, but maybe that's just circumstantial. Maybe that's because he can't get to everything at once. So what are you guys thinking about overall that kind of a concept?
2: i think with the titles in particular it's it's because people like to say oh the title makes the person i think the inverse it's more so the person makes the title like to your point with john cena back in 2015 like that's when the title most important you're taking a guy like right now like bobby lashley two-time wwe champion is undefeated against brock lesnar fun fact um And someone who, for all intents and purposes, is the main protagonist. I'm not like the final boss of Raw at the moment, since Roman has two titles. Now, with the women's title in particular, you had the two champions for the summer with uh, Bianca Bellella and Liv Morgan. Liv Morgan, to her credit, is a really good underdog. But the thing is, underdogs don't really make great champions. And so, uh, and I think Triple H recognized that. That's why she dropped the title to Rhonda. With Bianca, I think Bianca is in that weird transitional period where... Like, she's not 100% mainstream yet, but she's at the cusp of it. And the ti- and since they don't want to touch that title scene to make her more credible, it's kind of led in stagnation, especially since Rhea Ripley, who should be champion, is dealing with this whole Judgment Day mumbo-jumbo. Which, not mumbo-jumbo, it's really good. I'm just, you know, I'm just spitballing here. No, I got so you. it's like, he's focusing on the mid-card, which I think is more important because with the women's division... They could fix that at the snap of it. They have so much talent. With the mid-card, you do have – there's a bit more nuance to the mid-card because, you know, it's like who do you want there and who do you want in the main event scene or so as opposed to women's who only has one title.
0: Yeah, actually I think that's a really great way of looking at it because, you know, they have so much talent in both Raw and SmackDown's women's division that there's not going to be any cause for concern there. And I think, like you said, they can fix it pretty quickly. Um, I just think that the story that they've been giving, the stories, and I guess the long-term story with Bianca and Bailey has been a bit underwhelming. Um, I kind of was expecting a lot more after her big return at SummerSlam. Uh, maybe Becky Lynch was supposed to be more focally involved before her shoulder injury, so that could play a role. I don't think she was due for time off. I thought she was going to drop it to Bianca, and it seemed like her... Standing shoulder to shoulder with Bianca was meant to be the start of some bigger feud. I also think that they went through this really big women's tag title tournament, which just seemed to be cursed, and then they give the titles to Raquel Rodriguez and Aaliyah just for them to lose it two three weeks later to the team that should have won the tournament in the first place, EO and Dakota. So again, it's it's subject to everybody's opinion. What do, what do you think, Angelo? No, I
1: think I think it's definitely. Um Adam's point is definitely a good one because like you said, the the women's roster is stacked and they do only have one title for each brand. So it's not really I don't wanna say that that it's not an important part of the show, but it's one of those parts that you can you can fix at the snap of a finger. You know what I mean? Like like the the mid card titles, those you need the right tools and everything, those haven't been brought up. You know, in such a long time, they haven't been like an important part of the show until until Triple H took over. So to see the mid card titles and even the tag titles now starting to get some recognition when they should have been like the past few years. I think it's something that Triple H is trying to focus on more and trying to tweak and trying to make everything more interesting rather than using the same recipe week in and week out. For the mid card and the tag titles, and now even with the women's with the women's division, you know he's trying to I guess fix that too, trying to build everything up all at once. But maybe he's focusing more on one side than the other. If that makes sense.
0: No, I get what you mean. I mean, again, we we really don't know what the the mindset is. And with Triple H, I, I fully trust that he knows what he's doing because clearly he's shown that both in NXT and especially with his last 90 days in charge. I think that's pretty apparent. Um, and I don't think it's been bad. Like, uh, the latter match between Bianca and Bailey was pretty good um, on on Saturday. I don't think it was great by any stretch of the imagination. But also, you know, Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey, for as clunky as their match was, they've tried, and they have really tried. I can see it. They're, they're doing their best to make Liv as believable as possible. And I, they're teasing this new character for her, and this could be something really important. I don't, who, knows, who knows if it's going to have to do with anything with Bray Wyatt or anything like that. I, I doubt it, but, you know, there's always a chance. So um, be that as it may, Austin, what do you have for this? Any thoughts?
3: Well, I think that the reason – I think the reason that Triple H is succeeding with the midcard titles where Vince is failing is because you can compare – let's take – I don't know, let's take 2017 with Brock's reign where he was basically a, like an absent world champion only coming around for a select few pay-per-views of the year. What really should have been going down during those that time period was that those mid-card titles should have been like the most important title on every episode of the show where Brock wasn't or something like that. Like, And so we're seeing that again here with Roman Reigns, but the difference is that... Um, the United States title and the Intercontinental title really do feel like the most important part of the show when those champions are on. That's a true testament to both Bobby Lashley and Gunther who are both excellent, you know, champions. You know, they're, it may, it may be quote unquote a mid card title, but those are not mid card superstars. Those are main event level superstars. And, you know, a lot of what's going to need to happen to, you know get us through the next six months or however long is that you're gonna need to see these main event superstars challenge just like what's happening tonight bobby lashley and seth rollins are having a match for the united states championship both of those guys are world championship level you know contenders and they're they're fighting for the united states championship and that's not necessarily to be a discredit on either of them but it's really to the credit of how much. Triple H is putting his stock into the United States Championship, and we've talked a ton about Gunther and Sheamus with the Intercontinental Championship. You know, Triple H is putting his full stock into these titles, and I think it's going to have a massive payoff in the end.
0: Absolutely, and I and I fully agree. You know, the difference in when you had the absentee Brock, and I don't want to call Roman absentee, but he's away a lot more than he has been for the most part of the first two years of his reign. Um, You know those titles should have been, especially now, like back when Brock was gone, at least one of the titles was still there. AJ Styles was WWE champion for a year while Brock was out for a better part of that year. And even then, none of those three titles, not the WWE title, the US or Intercontinental title were going on last. Yeah, it was good that the women's title went on last several times because it definitely deserved to, but they were main eventing pay-per-views with Roman Reigns versus Samoa Joe, no slight to the two of those guys, but Roman Reigns at the time was not over like he is now, and that match was not a main event match. When you, I think on that same show, had, and I could be missing the year here, it was AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura in the middle of their feud. Granted, that feud wasn't the greatest, but you got to be kidding me. Your main eventing was that
2: no go ahead that style's funny the Styles-Nakamura, that Styles-Nakamura match I was actually I kind of saw a video on YouTube today it was like every pay-per-view result of 2018 that was the same pay-per-view where they had the double um, knockout finish where they kicked each other in the balls which I thought was kind of funny
0: and I get maybe not wanting to end the show on that on, on that kind of a finish but then change your booking finish with another cheap way to, to close the show and let somebody either get some heel heat to close the show or a babyface pop, even if you don't want there to be a decisive winner. Roman and Joe should not have gone on last that night. I, it's just, it boggles my mind. I remember, I have never in my life, I've been watching wrestling since I was seven years old. I am 22. It's been 15 years. I have never fallen asleep in the middle of a pay-per-view main event before. That is the only time I did. I did. Roman and Joe put me to sleep that night and I don't remember the finish. I know, I think Roman went over, but that that was the definition of, if you had AJ and Nakamura on last, I was sitting up and watching it. As underwhelmed as I might have been at their WrestleMania encounter that year, I would have watched it because those two are next-level athletes who should have been in the main event scene and were not. So, granted. Like that, um, yeah, go ahead. Alex. For the record that I fell asleep when
3: The Undertaker and Brock Lesnar... We're fighting at WrestleMania 30 and when the streak was broken. And that's one of my biggest wrestling regrets to this day is that I was asleep when the streak was
2: broken. <laughs> oh, it's, your, it's your fault the streak's broken, bro. You were awake.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you were awake, one. bro. Take your one to one.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> It was that one person falling asleep. Oh, man. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think overall um, these championships meaning more. Um, having guys like Seth and Gunther and, and Sheamus and Bobby competing for them in main event matches. I mean, e- and even still, going back to your point about you know when Roman isn't around, but tonight on Raw, Roman Reigns is in Brooklyn. He's on the show tonight, and I was checking well, before he opened the show. The bloodline opened the show. And yet the United States title is likely going to go on last, even on the same show. Well, maybe the DX schtick might be at the end. I don't know. How. But still, it's going on later in the show than the, than the world champion. They're giving right. them the, And I know you're going to give Seth and Bobby 20-something minutes to work with because they're two main event guys who have been world champion and main eventing for you for the better part of a decade on and off between the two of them. Seth has been your most consistent guy. I mean, we can talk about the fact that Seth Rollins, in the course of twelve months, has built up three different feuds that could theoretically be f- blown off inside Hell in a Cell. I mean, like think about—I think I made that point about Seth just going on a rant about him recently, you know. And this is not necessarily to do with Triple H, but we can get into Seth Rollins too, where you talk about how amazing he's been for the better part of a year, and especially in this last few months, his feud with Riddle has been the most realistic thing that you've seen. Getting into this, you know, personal stuff between, you know, Riddle's personal life and all the things that have happened and actually not having the match at SummerSlam but waiting until Clash, you know, and giving you another month of build-up under Triple H's watch and really making it look like, hey, these guys hate each other. These guys want to kill each other. And then... They had the match at Clash and Seth gets in Riddle's head and the mind games and all of that. And then the, the Fight Pit match was very fun. It was very fun. I, I, I mean, it wasn't, I don't think anyone was 100% vested because you're thinking at that point that the White Rabbit stuff was going to come up maybe during the match. So there was a little bit of a distraction and I don't want to take away from the the good match that they had. But even still, you can make a case that these two guys should have a Hell of a Cell match to blow off their feud. It could, it could theoretically make sense to do that. They're one-on-one one against each other. Seth won at Clash and Riddle won at, at Extreme Rules. And can you imagine that in the course of a year, Seth Rollins has built up three feuds with three different le- next-level superstars to have a blow-off match inside Hell in a Cell? A, few, a, a, a stipulation which previously had been its own pay-per-view and not used for the right reasons. I, right. And, and everyone knows how I feel about... That being a thing, and we've talked about it for years on this podcast. But Edge, Cody Rhodes, and now Matt Riddle—three feuds where you have that great of a story with them, and, and and none of them have been for championships. And that's the damnedest thing is that Seth Rollins hasn't been a world champion in over three years since he lost the title at Crown Jewel 2019 to the Fiend. He has not been world champion. He has been a tag yeah. team champion more recently than that. And that tag title reign was a forgetful one with Buddy Murphy when the, he was a, the, doing the discipleship thing.
3: Yeah, no, he hasn't held any title since, what, February of 2020? Correct, yes.
2: That's, yeah. No
0: Which title is
3: weird to a title that's
0: nothing. And that's why I think tonight he should go over, and I know I've said it before, but he should beat Bobby. Bobby's been a great champion. He's been the right guy at the right time. He's been there to face Seth. But, uh, you know, and, and to carry that title and, and getting him to be over as a babyface when he had been such a nasty heel for so long, I think has been a really nice progression. And I do think Bobby is due for two things. Um, one, another one-on-one legit match with Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble that doesn't get, uh, sorry, at Crown Jewel that doesn't get overshadowed like his match with Brock at the Royal Rumble, where Roman Reigns' involvement kind of took away from Bobby being there. And let's be honest, that's kind of what happened. Um, But also, too, I think Bobby is a perfect fit for a match with Roman Reigns. I I think you get to the Royal Rumble 2023 and you're in San Antonio. Your match for the WWE Undisputed Universal title is Roman Reigns versus Bobby Lashley. I think that that is the most logical way to go because he is a perfect countermatch for Roman, and in a time when nobody liked watching Roman Reigns matches in 2018, he had two very good matches with Roman Reigns on back-to-back, well, not back-to-back shows, but Extreme Rules, and then on Raw between those two. And I think that they could only get better from here, considering how good they've both gotten from that point, four years or five years
2: later. Yeah, uh, I think... think to add on to your point, I think with tonight's match of Rollins versus Lashley, it's just the perfect, I guess, like the perfect match for that. Because you, if, you, if Rollins wins, he gets his title, and you can easily incorporate that title match with, a, with Matt Riddle potentially. And especially in a time where Roman Reigns has virtually beaten everybody, from Lesnar to Goldberg to Cena to Edge. It's like you're running out of people. So I think a faith Bobby Lashley, who's proven to be over with the crowd, is just... It's like you, you can't write this stuff; it kind of just falls into place. I mean, exactly. That's
0: exactly what I was thinking. Because you can't run heel Bobby Lashley versus heel Roman Reigns. I don't think there's a. You could, but I don't think there's as much of a draw in it. But yeah. Bobby's is he's over now. He's a face. The fans love him, and that's tough to do. No offense, because Bobby's character since coming back has been hard to love as a as a baby face. But he he fits, and it's natural, and it's right. And I think that it would be. Best if that's the next step after Roman faces Logan Paul. And like you said, and I didn't even think of this, if Seth wins that title and say they do have a blow off match in Saudi Arabia, can you imagine for the first time ever the United States Championship could be on the line? And I think it should be a hell in a cell match. I mean, the United States title in a hell in a cell match, it's never happened. Neither of the mid card titles Ooh. have ever been on the line in that kind of a stipulation. I think it's time. And I think Riddle and Rollins for that title, not only does it elevate it to a level that's like, wow, that title means that much that they're willing to go through hell literally and figuratively to get it and to keep it or win it, whatever you want to say, but also it, it, it culminates that feud. And whoever wins has that extra added benefit of saying, hey, I survived hell, I beat my arch nemesis and I'm the United States champion, getting closer to the road to WrestleMania, which is huge. Going into How the new you, year and Survivor just, Series
3: and War Games, I just like to point out really quickly that Roman Reigns defended the U.S. title in Hell in a Cell against Rusev in 2016, which is a forgettable match in itself. But <laughs> not to your point at all, because I think that you know, having the United States Championship being defended inside Hell in a Cell six years later, you know, it's it. it this is, this is literally and figuratively, this is an entirely different United States championship than we saw back then. And, you know, I think putting that match inside Hell in a Cell, the blow-off match to this feud that both of these guys have just gotten so personal and they want to kill each other. I think this is the moment where you really see the United States championship is not the one that Kalisto held back in 2016. This is a legitimate championship for legitimate champions.
0: That's a I now when you said that I'm like wow I do remember watching that match and I don't remember it happening, but yeah uh, but it, was,
2: it wasn't on the tank it was memorable
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man but yes so. Um, yeah, but your point is 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 exactly what I'm thinking, Austin. It, it would be it would be most ideal for everything and everyone involved—the title, the match stipulation, the superstars, the fans, everything about that. Like you could realistically have two five-star matches for your two mid-card titles on a show where the world title is being defended against a celebrity. I think that goes a long way to say, hey. That world title might be the end-all, be-all of the company, and it should be, but these four world champion-level guys are killing themselves over mid-card, quote-unquote, mid-card titles. Because it means that much to them to be a champion, and those titles are not to be held, like you said, no offense to Kalisto, but let's be honest, that title meant absolutely nothing in 2016 when he was facing Ryback and Alberto Del Rio, God forbid, give me for mentioning his name on on this podcast, in that time frame. That's a big difference in what that title was to what it is now. And a guy like Bobby Lashley and Seth Rollins and Matt Riddle are the right guys to be fighting for that because they can be world champion tomorrow if they really, really want it to be. And if they just want, put them in a match with Roman Reigns, all three of those guys would be viable challengers to Roman. And we've seen two of them already do it, and I still hold to it that I want Seth to be the one to end the Reigns and nobody else. That's just my opinion, considering what happened at the Royal Rumble. But... Exactly my point of being like, all right, this is this is good stuff. Um, okay, so another point I wanted to make and I, and I'm gonna get to the main point, the final point in a bit, but going back just also to to the um, to the importance of feuds and we've talked about the personal feud between Gunther and Seamus, the feud between Rollins and Riddle the importance of the championships and how they've been rising to stardom and even finding ways to inject some really believable and fun stuff into the Morgan and Rousey rivalry, which had not been the case previous to that with Vince trying to book them to SummerSlam when really I don't think anybody cared about it at the time. A lot of feuds are making like everything that's going on. You're getting meaningful feuds top to bottom. There is not a single aspect of feuds that you get on TV that are not enjoyable and they're not meaningful. And and I, and I think that that's another thing. Like, things used to just happen for the sake of happening. Like, oh, why is wrestler A wrestling wrestler B on Raw this week? Oh, well, they just said it on social media. Like, I I, I couldn't – I, I did, that's why I didn't watch – I don't watch Raw. I, I mean, I don't have the time half the time and, you know, that's not, you know, any excuse. But – For the longest time, I wasn't even interested in watching Raw because I didn't know what was happening. And then all of a sudden, you'd just be like, oh, okay, Big E's facing Kevin Owens for the seventh week in a row, which was last fall. I think they wrestled on every episode of Raw for like two straight months. And I'm sorry. I just I couldn't do it anymore, you know. And so now every match and every feud is meaningful to the point of where you have big, bigger feuds blowing off matches on on TV Johnny Gargano and Austin Theory have been feuding for a couple of weeks, and I'm not saying that, that it's a pay-per-view level match. I mean, it, it is and it isn't, but they're having their match. I think they already had their match on Raw tonight. Yeah, they did. And so uh, who uh, who went over? Johnny uh, Gargano. Oh, you love to see it. Um, so Gargano, but look at that. A match that happens on Raw in Brooklyn means just as much as if it happened on Extreme Rules on this past Saturday. And it could have been. It could have fit on that show nicely, even though it didn't have a stipulation, you know. So it's one of those things where every feud means something now. And I mean, maybe it's just me, but I mean, do you guys feel the same way?
2: Oh, absolutely! Absolutely. Yeah, completely. I mean, like like we just mentioned, Theory and Gargano. It's like that's a feud that makes sense because you go back to NXT and the whole way thing, and especially with Austin Theory. you know, a guy who's, you know, on the come up with the whole briefcase being Vince's pet, and for and someone that a lot of people thought was gonna suffer immensely under Triple H because he was a Vince guy. Um, but just to see with this whole Gargano feud is just a perfect reassurance that we needed. Like, yes, Theory lost to Gargano tonight. That's not, not that big of a deal because, like, the Money in the Bank briefcase winners. Always lose, like, a lot prior to, like, cash-in. Like, case in point with Sheamus and um, with some other free-case winners. I'm, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought now. But, um, yeah, Daniel like, Bryan. Like, Daniel Bryan. Yeah. Daniel Bryan. It's perfect one. CM Punk in 2009. Cash-in on Hardy. Lost to Umaga, like, 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes prior. So it's like, you have these feuds and you have... It, it just works. I don't know how to describe it. It just works. Like Gargano needed to go over and theory could take a loss and they already have that pre-established history. So it only makes sense for someone who's Johnny Gargano, who for the, for the last five years has been one of the best like to do it. So I think, you know, like, like I just said, I, I, I don't have the words for it. It just works.
0: No, it absolutely does. I agree. Um, And what's it called? Another, and I I just lost my train of thought on it. I I just had another feud in my mind that was on that level of Gargano and, and Theory and still being able to blow it off on free TV. Wow, I'm losing my train of thought. I'll circle back to it. But yeah, no, like that kind of a concept of where like a match that magnitude being able to be blown off on free TV and being able to have that. And, and not feel like it just happened for the sake of happening. But everybody involved is going to benefit in some way from this happening. You know, I mean, even, you know, Drew McIntyre and Karrion Cross had a great match at, at Extreme Rules. And they're not done. And the, and their feud is now going to build and grow. And long-term booking is going to allow them to have meaningful interactions for another <coughs> month. You know, and... Um, I think that those are very important things. What else do you guys think about these important feuds? Well, I try to remember the point that I just had. Angelo, you you were saying something before, and I think you and Adam just kind of talking at the same time. What were you saying before?
1: Oh, so um, another thing with, like, this whole Theory um, theory and Gargano feud, you also have someone like Kevin Owens involved, former NXT champion. The man hasn't had any importance in the company in, especially on the main roster, in probably a couple years. You know, he hasn't held a world title since, what was it, 2016? He hasn't held any, any championship
0: in five years, and that's the most atrocious and egregious thing I think I've ever heard.
2: Yeah, hey, exactly. he got the now, Austin
0: match. He, he did get
1: the Austin match, but still. He did, but now you have him in this whole Gargano and Theory feud, and you can see that... Triple H is using a for, his former NXT guys to build a great story and he's using former NXT champions to help build theory up. So I feel like I feel like Kevin Owens is being part of this storyline is something that is going to have a big payoff not only for theory, not only for Gargano but also for Kevin Owens in the future I in agree. the very near future, I feel.
0: I agree. I finally remember the other point, too, um, and this it's good that I was going to come to you next, Austin, because you were the one who commented on this in our group chat the other day. Um, Dexter Loomis and The Miz. Uh, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen such an entertaining feud happen with one guy who has not said a single word in, I think, about two months. Dexter Loomis has not spoken. He has not revealed his motive for why he's targeting The Miz but yet it has been the most entertaining, interwoven part of every show, including Extreme Rules, that we have seen. And I believe they're having a birthday celebration for The Miz tonight on Raw. And well, safe to say that probably somehow, some way, Loomis is going to get involved. And these guys haven't even had a match yet. And they're going to eventually have to have a match, and I'm sure it's going to be great because The Miz is able to have a good match with just about anybody, and Loomis is no slouch. So, Austin, you were the one who commented on this feud the other day, and I'm glad that it comes to you now because this is another example of a meaningful feud, even though it hasn't even been touched on in the sense of a match yet.
3: Right, and I think that a lot of this boils down to Triple H is making what I like to call and what everyone likes to call This is must-watch television. You know, we've really grown up in the past four or five years, uh, maybe even longer in, like, a very, like, social media-heavy, you know, industry where it's like, I'm not going to bother to watch Raw or SmackDown because someone is posting highlights on Instagram and someone is posting highlights on YouTube, and you can watch a 10-minute recap of Raw on YouTube rather than spend three hours of your time watching the entire show. Yes, I get it. Some people are busy and yada, yada, yada. Everyone has their reasons for watching or not watching. But these feuds that you're seeing play out, Johnny Gargano versus Austin Theory, absolutely could have been on Extreme Rules. Dexter Loomis versus them is. Could have been on Extreme Rules. But prolonging these feuds and then putting them on Raw or SmackDown is really creating a reason for people to tune in rather than just checking the results later. Because I'll be honest, I've been guilty of that for the past... Year now, maybe it's I'll tune into Raw or SmackDown when it's like convenient for me when I have nothing else going on. And you know, even then, sometimes it'll just be background noise. You know, it's like I'm not invested, I'm just tuning in because I feel like I have an obligation to. But right now, what we're seeing is we're seeing so many feuds that are playing out that you have to watch all three hours of the show both shows for three hours for on two hours for smackdown to really get a grasp of what's going on on television. And I think that you're not going to get that from checking social media and checking like what WWE is posting or what other people are posting. I think you're really going to get that from sitting down and enjoying the content rather than just like observing the content you're enjoying. it. Hey,
0: I, I agree. I, I think that I've, I've been very similar to you in that respect and I feel like I have missed... I, I actually feel like I've missed out when I don't watch certain things that happen on TV. Like, the last week with Sheamus and Gunther on SmackDown. I didn't watch the match, but I, I kind of wish I did. I feel like I missed out on watching something really cool because I wasn't able to, and I had other things going on, but... You know That kind of a concept that you can now feel like you're missing out on something that happened on free TV and that you're not going to get a do-justice version of it when you watch it back on YouTube or on social media is, is so important because now it's making everything feel meaningful again. It's making every aspect, every second of TV that they have is important again. And even in the background, those subtle things where it started with Loomis that first night. We've seen it with Nikki ASH and we've seen it go on and on. Where there's these little background things that happen that are important and that are necessary. You know, and that you need now you need to pay so such close attention and it's so foreign to us nowadays as fans to feel that way. And I think it's nice to finally have it back. You know, and I like feeling like I wanna I wanna tune in and I need to tune in. Hell, I made it a point to be able to tune into Extreme Rules for the simple fact of the White Rabbit. And I'm very (laughs) glad I did. So, you know, that's just another aspect of it. So, another thing that I did want to touch on is, is War Games. With the announcement a couple of weeks ago that War Games is coming to Survivor Series. And for the first time ever, it will take place on a main roster show and not in NXT after NXT brought the concept back in 2017 for the first time in in WWE's history, uh, the former WCW concept comes to the main roster. And I think they're going to have two, and I think that the important aspect to to note is that one of them is almost definitely going to involve the bloodline. And the involvement of the bloodline in war games not only excites me as a fan, but it just excites me as someone who loves to watch Chaos and and great storytelling and interwoven in this war games match that I believe the Bloodline is going to have is going to be so many storyline details and agree or disagree with me guys I think that the whole premise of that match should be the Bloodline now has to contend with just a bunch of guys that they have pissed off and dealt and done done dirty in the course of the last two and a half years of Roman Reigns' reign of dominance and subsequently the bloodlines formation and rise to superstardom like they have had. Um, do you guys think that that's what should happen? Essentially a band of WWE superstars coming together to try and take down the big bad dragon of the, of the company, so to speak.
2: Absolutely. I don't, yeah, I don't think that's what should happen. It's what will happen. like, Like, a good example is if you look at War Games 2018 with the Undisputed Era, which I think it was the Raiders, Deep Thun and Ricochet. I think I can, uh, you know, completely envision that happening, especially when you have people who have been, you know, screwed over by the bloodline, namely Shinsuke, McIntyre. You can even have, like, Ricochet in that because I know he's been having that thing with Solo Sokoa and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what should happen? I feel like, War games is something for that, you know. It doesn't always have to be faction versus faction. It should be a, an antagonist with some, for for the, all intents and purposes, some underdog baby faces. Because that's just, you know, at its core, it's just a literally a literary element that should be used to its advantage.
0: I agree, and I also think that the alternative, the other War Games match is going to be more of a faction versus faction kind of a thing. It's probably going to be damage control and maybe one or two others coming together to take on the the, the come the coming together of a Bianca Belair, a Candice LeRae, Alexa Bliss, um, Asuka, and maybe even uh, Becky Lynch now that she's back or supposedly going to be back. I saw today that she's due back any week now, and I do think that she should be involved in war games. So that's like a faction versus faction kind of a thing where they've been going at it for weeks. Meanwhile, you could have the bloodline, and I, and I think I, I also do write partly uh, part-time for uh, PW Mania, the website, and I've spoken on two different occasions, specifically in my most recent article, about uh, the, the war games match with the bloodline that should be happening. And I do think that the the collection of superstars to face Roman, Jimmy J, Solo, and Sammy in the, in the War Games match should be Drew McIntyre, Matt Riddle, um, AJ Styles, uh, Seth Rollins, and I can't remember the fifth guy's name. Um, wasn't Nakamura, but it was another guy that they've had a lot of issues with uh, in recent months. Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens. There it is. Um and I think that if you have those five guys, the, the the intricacy that you could weave in, Sammy and KO, and the fact that they're best friends and they've been best friends for so long and we saw that Sammy couldn't hit KO the last time KO crossed the path of the Bloodline a few weeks ago on Raw. Obviously Drew McIntyre was screwed over by the Bloodline at Clash at the Castle. You know, Matt Riddle tried to go to war with the Bloodline in in, in honor of his, his best friend and Randy Orton and he failed. You know, Seth Rollins has been, you know, waiting to get back to Roman Reigns ever since the Royal Rumble, and he's never been given that chance. And Roman has been on this unstoppable tear for two and a half years, but the only guy he never cleanly beat with a pinfall or a submission or a knockout in that ring I'm saying clean, but decisive, not clean, because he cheats to win is Seth Rollins. He has pinned everybody. He has made everybody submit or pass out to the guillotine. He has beaten everybody definitively, decisively, except for Seth Rollins. And I and that's never been touched on, and I think it should be again. And AJ Styles has had interactions with them for the longest time, and I do want to see AJ get a chance to feud with the bloodline. And if the rumors about the Good Brothers coming back to WWE are true, that could only add to a potential bloodline versus club, OGBC, whatever you want to call it. A uh, feud that could potentially take place. So I think that those are the five. Those are my five guys. And like you were saying, Adam, a guy like Nakamura, a guy like Ricochet. There's so many guys who the Bloodline have pissed off. The the Street Profits could be in that mix as well. I mean, so many guys. It just makes the most sense. Uh, Angela, were you going to say something else?
1: So one thing that I was thinking was during this whole faction versus faction thing and War Games. So you believe that the bloodline will be facing the collective of superstars that they pissed off. And you believe that damage control will also be in a war games match. Do you think now this is just me thinking here for a second. Do you think that there will be a third war games match between judgment day and having an intergender war games match for the first time ever, where it would be like judgment day versus um, Edge, Mysterio, Beth, and a fourth member. And honestly, that fourth member, I'm taking one of your guys from the bloodline feud in the war games match, would be AJ Styles because we've seen little seeds being planted for AJ Styles and Finn. Do you think that maybe there would be a third War Games match between those two groups. I don't
0: think there would be three. I think that I think they even said there's only going to be two in their announcement, but I do think that if that is the case and and I think that's also a strong possibility, it would happen in place of the women's one that I stated. Um, I think that the logistics of an intergender hell uh, hell in a cell war games match is a lot harder just because WWE has been so against, you know, a lot of that intergender wrestling and um, they've, they've never really done it. So that's why I don't think they would go that route. They would probably do more of a mixed tag where they wouldn't use the war game stipulation to keep it along the lines of their normal mixed tag team match rules. I would figure that's what they would do similar to what they did at Hell in a Cell where it was Liv Morgan, AJ Styles and Finn Balor against the Judgment Day at the time of Edge, Priest and Ripley um that's probably what i would say i i don't know what you guys think but that would be where i look at it i, agree, I think
2: it doesn't happen. i don't think it ha- has to happen at war games because like let's be real. beth phoenix took a concerto she ain't coming back for at least a couple months bro at least because in K babe she just got murked right so it's like like you can like if anything the judgment day would like you know, if you wanted to run into the third one, you'd have to find a different team for that. Because, you know, you, you, just, you don't know Selic and Chertel like that.
3: Yeah, I agree. No, I think they could pull off an intergender war games match because I think we have to remember, this isn't the Vince McMahon era. This is the Triple H era. And I think that, you know, he's got a lot of faith in what his performers can do. That doesn't mean that, you know, that doesn't mean that Rhea Ripley is going to take a Hurricane Rana from Rey Mysterio into a pile of thumbtacks. I think it just means that, like, they will find creative ways to get around this, whether the women would enter last or whether the women would start the match and they'd only be, like, fighting with each other. Or, you know, there's there's plenty of ways to look at, at it. And I think it's a possibility. And I think that, just like you said, I think that I think that if that match does take place, the damage control one is out. Because I feel like... Right now, I do feel like the damage control versus Bianca Belair, Asuka, and Alexa Bliss feud is over. Bianca Belair retained her title in the latter match. There's nowhere else to go right now. Now, granted, I'm not watching Raw. Maybe they're doing something else to further build this feud, but as of right now, I feel like this feud is done with, you know, until Becky comes back.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's... And, and who knows? Obviously, Survivor Series is still a ways away. The next show is Crown Jewel, so the build is now going to go towards that in the next few weeks' time. But you know, looking beyond Survivor Series, or looking beyond two Survivor Series, there is a lot of possibilities, and I'm very excited. Again, it's an exciting time to be a fan. So that's that's the most important aspect here. Um, so now, oh, and I just got a notification that the OC is back in WWE. So Gallows and Anderson returned on Raw tonight. Um, Steve Wall uh, That's what Bleacher Report does for you Just checking it out right now I don't know what happened But this is what happens when you're live And they confronted the Judgment Day Wow all right oh boy Didn't, oh <laughs> Well this is what happens when you're recording the midst of an episode of Monday Night Raw Gallows, Anderson, and Styles against uh Let's see It's Balor, Dom, and Priest So yeah, it's all even now there's a war games match for you. Yeah,
2: there you go. Right. Add in G uh, G finalist
0: Carl Anderson. Yeah, and, and he's also, if I'm not mistaken, he's currently the never open weight champion. So that's an interesting. No,
2: I think what the way? What? No, he's still. Oh. Yeah, I believe he is. Still he hasn't the dropped never the title Openweight. yet.
0: So I don't know how this is. This is an interesting wrinkle here.
1: Ready, Forbidden War Two, WWE New Japan. Uh, what? It would be nice, <laughs> but that's not going to happen. I
0: I got a feeling that Triple H, now that he's in charge, is allowing him to finish off his dates with New Japan. He'll probably let him go and, and drop the title. There's got to be some agreement there, but that that's that's. well, you love to Let's see, see it. it. Um, I was, and it's funny that that comes through as I was literally about to state next that. Um. The last thing we wanted to talk about was the amount of returns that have happened with Triple H <laughs> in charge. I mean, that you couldn't have timed that any better because welcome back to Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson to WWE. I never thought I'd see the day. But, um, yeah, so... Triple H, you know, and you've probably all seen the memes with the Infinity Gauntlet of him having every single superstar returning to WWE. But since his return to the company, he has seen, We've seen the returns from, in no particular order, of Hit Row, Karrion and Cross, and Scarlett, Johnny Gargano, um, and please, if I miss anybody, let me know. Uh, Braun Strowman, now Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, and um, am I missing anybody? Candice Lerae. Candice Lerae. Uh, yep, that's another one. Um, Eoskai and Dakota Kai. Eosky and Dakota Kai, who were the first two who came back at SummerSlam. And, of course, this past Saturday at Extreme Rules, the biggest, most exciting, and the most anticipated one of them all, Bray Wyatt. And that is now what we're going to pivot to. So, um, I think that this conversation will take up way too much time to cover every intricate detail, because what could possibly come from Wyatt's return is so out there it's so vast there are literally too many options to settle down on one particular solution at this point and I feel like it's an entirely different discussion for its own day so maybe just kind of lump summing the returns in general but I mean obviously wanting to focus in specifically on this Bray Wyatt return and the the immense amount of detail placed into it um what is the benefit to this do you see any harm in it? And obviously I think we could all agree that, you know, is this best for business? No pun intended. So what are your guys' takes on that?
2: Anybody? Uh, so um, I guess – With the returns – Oh, you can start off. All right.
3: Um, I guess I'll go first. Um, Gray Wyatt is he, – he's a megastar. Try to deny it all you want. He is a megastar. And, you know, having him back just another tool in Triple H's arsenal is going to only further increase the ratings, increase the positive, well, I should, the TV ratings and the positive ratings of Triple H's regime. There is nowhere they can go but up with Bray Wyatt on their roster. I mean, like you said, the possibilities are endless, but I think it's a real, dare I say, and I'm, we're not talking about AEW, but it's a real missed opportunity for Tony Khan, but it's a really beneficial opportunity for WWE.
0: I agree. And I think, again, not trying to get into the AEW aspect of it, but it goes to show and, I, and I'm, I'm not going to dive into this because another conversation for another day. Not everybody wants to go to the land of sunshine and rainbows that is AEW. Not to say that they have bad product. Angelo and I were just at Grand Slam a couple of weeks ago, and it was a fantastic show wrestling wise. But it goes to show that WWE is still the main place to go. Bray Wyatt never wanted to leave, from what you can tell. He never, you know, we heard all the rumors, and I'm sure they've reached out to him, and there may have even been conversations. But at the end of the day, Triple H being in charge was all it took to bring Bray Wyatt home. And his home is in WWE because it's um (laughs) the group chat sorry guys uh but um it's also just the most insane amount of detail placed into somebody's return I mean we've seen vignettes we've seen teasers and, and and subtle hints and even video packages but I don't think we have ever been taken on a ride and a journey like Bray Wyatt did for us in the last several weeks we, we've seen the QR codes and all the cryptic messages, the videos, this white rabbit. I mean, they literally took us on an Alice in Wonderland type of a journey, chasing that white rabbit, to saying, it seems like Bray Wyatt. Is it actually Bray Wyatt? No, it can't be Bray Wyatt. And then once you hear that let me in from SmackDown last week, you know, you all but know it's Bray Wyatt. And when he came out, And when that place, that that Philadelphia crowd, one of the hottest crowds in wrestling, lost its collective mind, I think that it goes to show not only are they just happy that Bray is back, the fact that Bray is home, but I also feel like that applause is also for Triple H, for letting Bray just be creative. And my hope, and I'm not really worried about it because Triple H has proven me that he'll just let it happen, is that no matter what, he will let Bray and his creative mind do what is best for him and in turn best for business and I I have more faith in the booking of Bray Wyatt now than I have and what could come from this than I literally have ever had in his entirety of the previous run with WWE. Adam, you were going to say something before. I'm uh, sorry about we cut you off.
2: Yeah. Um I think the Bray Wyatt thing to everyone's credit is just like, it's just perfect, you know what I mean? Because Ray Wyatt is, without a shadow of a doubt, the most creative mind this business has seen in years, if not decades, right? And so you have someone who's, like, an enigma, right? Someone who, if he was in the movie business, would do fairly well. And, like, with him, it would... Like, I felt like as even when he left, he was always going to be back because when he left, you have to take it to perspective. It was a couple months after Brody Lee, John Huber rest in peace, but he had died a couple months prior. So I felt like there was a lot of burnout, especially with Vince, who is you know circling back to earlier this episode where um, Vince is a micro to the extreme, to the remote, like to the most minute details, and with someone who is as creative as Bray Wyatt that was never going to end well. Um, and so, yeah, since he's back and the pop that he got was just like, not, not, not to copy Bobby Roode here, but that was just glorious, right? When he took off the mask, I felt like like even me just in a remote bedroom in the Poconos, I could feel the energy from there translate into the room. And I get, and that is what wrestling is about is to get entranced in such a narrative, in such a story, just to be perpetrated by the guy who just returned. That was just the build-up for the return. Like, with such a strong beginning, I can't foresee that everything else isn't going to be equally, if not better, of a reaction.
0: And I think... With Triple H always being willing to hear creative ideas, it's now going to be more of a conversation of how can we make your idea a reality and how can we make money off of it from for both you and for the company. Rather than with Vince, it was all about what he wanted and what he want what he was hope thought was best had to be on TV, and every idea gets shot down. And I mean, look, I'm not here to crap on Vince. You know that's not the point of this. Um, I think the point of it is the differences in creative and the differences that the people involved will be able to have with this creative is so insanely important because now Bray can do whatever he wants and like you said Adam it will only increase it will only go up when you can and 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 I don't want to go into another AEW point but They hound home the point with CM Punk that he sold out Chicago that night on a rumor that he might return to Chicago and to wrestling on that night. Now, maybe not to the same level of what that was, because that was an insane and once-in-a-lifetime moment. And I remember watching it on the train home from New York City to my home, and it was just unbelievable. I had tears in my eyes that night, like many fans in the crowd. But I have not been as excited as I was to hear him – to hear the he's got the whole world in his hands. And then in that moment, you know this is Bray Wyatt and this is the most insane thing we've seen on TV in years, if ever. And so, yeah, I think there is oh so high of a ceiling for where this can go. And I think, as I said before – there is little doubt in anyone's mind that this is going to be the best run of Bray Wyatt's career to date and probably ever. Any other thoughts on Bray Wyatt? Uh, just kind of trying to touch on the most basic parts of it without getting into too much detail because we've been going for an hour and a half. So I'm going to have to wrap this baby up soon.
1: I was going to say one thing about Wyatt. Now, He is one of the most creative and innovative stars that we have seen in, not just in WWE, but I'd say in professional wrestling as a whole in recent years. I mean, Freddie, come on. We've seen back in 2019 the whole creation of the Firefly Funhouse. You and I were there for Money in the Bank 2019 when, especially during the men's match, everybody was chanting Yowie Wowie for Bray Wyatt, and we didn't even see what what was going to happen you know we didn't think that it was going to be that huge right like we all thought it was probably just a weird crazy gimmick like we didn't know that it was going to be as impactful as it was so him transitioning from whatever character he was before to the flyer five uh, funhouse to becoming the fiends and being able to transition between the the crazy segments on Raw to this monster on shows was something insane. And now that, like, especially now, like, with the QR codes and everything, all the hints, the build-up to this new character that he's working on, I have absolute, like, all my faith. I'm absolutely invested in wrestling now more than I think I ever have been. And I think now especially with Triple H in charge, I mean, rumors are rumors, but I heard that part of Bray's deal is he gets to um, have a say in his creative, in his creative uh, booking. So I believe that maybe Triple H is starting to give him a little bit of creative control over his character, which is something that I feel like Bray absolutely deserves because this is a gimmick that he's that you could see that he worked really hard on. And you could see the reception from the fans. It was absolutely nothing, but it was basically all love for this one guy and something that is great to see.
0: You're absolutely right, man. I think that there is so much to gain. And, yeah, you and I were there at Money in the Bank when those vignettes started in 2019 for The Fiend to finally come to WWE. And, you know, that was the most insane thing we had seen in some time. And I think what we're going to get now is even so much more beyond that than anything. And it's going to be light years. Literal light years beyond that. Um, There's no question or doubt in my mind about that. And I'm just very excited. And as we've said so many times already tonight, that there is so much to be excited for and so many things to look forward to as a wrestling fan right now. So, with that in mind... Uh, Does anybody have anything else they want to add before we wrap this show up?
3: I want to say that if you are listening to this podcast and you're not watching wrestling, what are you doing? Like, turn on the TV on Mondays and Fridays and get back into this because the real testament to Triple H's success is going to be if the ratings continue to only go up from here. And I think that's That's our responsibility as fans is to watch the product and to tune in and make sure that we are validating everything that Triple H is doing. Because if we don't, we do run the risk of, you know, God forbid, and I don't think this is going to happen, but God forbid, you know, we see Nick Khan or we see Stephanie take over the reins, which I don't think is going to happen. But my point being is that we need to, as fans, support the thing that we love so much and just make sure that it, We are saying, yes, this is working. Please
0: don't take it away. Amen to that. Couldn't have said it better myself. Anything else, guys? All right. Well, with that being said, we'd like to thank you for another wondrous edition of the Fans Talk Pro Wrestling Podcast. It is good to be back And who knows how often this is going to happen rather than continuing to say, yeah, we're back, we're back, and then we don't come back for another six months. We're going to do our best. We enjoy doing this, and we were happy to finally come back tonight. It was a lot of fun, all four of us being able to hop on here and shoot the breeze for an hour and a half about our favorite pastime. Not baseball, not football, but professional wrestling. And who could have thought that a bunch of 20-something-year-old dudes could talk about professional wrestling for an hour and a half on a Monday night. So... Once again, on behalf of my co-host, Angelo, and our two very f- special friends and guests today, Austin and Adam, I've been Freddie, your host with the Hollow French Toast, and we hope that you liked this video, this, this uh, episode. Please like it, share it, subscribe to our, all of our channels on, a- Apple, <coughs> on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you can get your podcasts. And as always, never, uh, always remember to never be afraid to be a fan, and we'll see y'all very soon. Peace out, everybody.